Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by Amazon Studios' new film, Wonder Wheel. The film tells the story of four characters whose lives intertwine amid the hustle and bustle of the Coney Island amusement park in the 1950s. Ginny, a melancholy, emotionally volatile former actress, now working as a waitress in a clam house. Humpty, Ginny's rough-hewn carousel operator husband. Mickey, a handsome young lifeguard who dreams of becoming a playwright. And Caroline, Humpty's long-estranged daughter, who is now hiding out from gangsters at her father's apartment. Starring Jim Belushi, Juno Temple, Justin Timberlake, and Kate Winslet. For your consideration, all categories, including Best Actress Kate Winslet and Best Cinematography. Wonder Wheel is now playing in select theaters everywhere December 15th. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor and Chief Critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our Editor-at-Large. And Ann, it's been a busy week with award stuff, and uh, we also have to talk about our top ten list, so let's get into it. First and foremost, uh, the two big announcements this week, at least as far as I can tell, are NBR, New York Film Critics Circle, but I had a little bit too much to do with one of those, so why don't you tell me from the outside what it looks like? Well, I... I was impressed with the way they shared the love. I was impressed with the way they went into, they really leaned into indies. It struck me that A24 and Sony, because A24 is Florida Project, which got two big awards, director and supporting actor, and um, uh, Lady Bird, which got best picture and best director, which is amazing, right? But, oh, I'm getting it wrong. It's Sean Baker got Best Director, which is also yeah, very exciting. Right. Let me do that over. So basically you have Sean Baker and Florida Project getting two. Um, it got Willem Dafoe and Best Director. And then Lady Bird got two because it got Best Film. And it also got Best Actress. Uh, for this, this is the second big win for Saoirse Ronan, who also Premier, won. Right. At Gotham's. Right, and so, considering her age, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Timothy and Timothy Chalamet won Best Actor, Calling By Your Name. He's, he's 21. 21. So this yeah. is looking inevitable, the fact that Chalamet, and he, he won at the Gotham's as well. So we're looking at a lot of, of consensus here. And I have to assume that the movies that did not prove to be consensus films at the New York Film Festival are such films, and they happen to be Fox Searchlight, as Shape of Water, the Guillermo del Toro movie, which is opening today, and the uh, bill, Three Billboards, which is, is doing well at the specialty box office, but doesn't seem to be getting much in the way of awards attention from from the first few groups. Well, so the New York Film Critics Circle, that's that's true. Those movies were shut out, and um, The Post also was shut out, and NBR gave The Post Best Film. So that's an interesting split we can't quite get into too much right now. But um, Well, I would say, I would say that they, what that represents is is that is that the post is a far more mainstream right. uh, yes. kind of movie, which is going to do very well, I would imagine, in theaters and with the older Academy members who who remember the period and are going to be very nostalgic about it. So the post is not um, 
hurt by this. It's just, is it right. helped by it? But I think the thing about Shape of Water and, and, um, and Three Billboards is actually very interesting because those are movies that people like, but they, they do have, they, they tend to divide people more. And it's, it's, hard, it's been harder to see that in individual moments when we've seen these films. But when you really look at the way that Lady Bird plays, the way that Florida Project plays, the way that Call Me By Your Name plays versus Three Billboards, which is angry and impressive in a lot of ways, but it's got it, the tone is really complicated and stuff. In Shape of Water, it's you know some people like that Guillermo del Toro aesthetic that's kind of dreamy and poetic, and other people think it's kind of not their thing. So those are actually kind of divisive movies compared to these other ones. Well, the way to also put it is that a they're not consensus builders; they're divisive. But when you get to the uh, Academy. All you need are passionate, passionate believers. And if you have those, you're, you're, you, if you have enough of them, you can get where you want to go, you know, and, and in terms of nominations. So, but I'm beginning to think the Three Billboards is going to wind up in, in the writing, the performance of, of Francis and, um, and supporting actor Sam Rockwell and, and Best Picture probably, but it may be a stretch. It's an interesting one because it's such a crazy year. Yeah. It's a very, comp it turns out you and I both do these 10 tests. We had plenty of films to put on there. And yeah. There was no lack of movies to choose from. You had like 17. Yeah, that was, I yeah, could have put another 17 on there. The I'm more you sure see, you the better it gets. You're, 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 you, were, you were sharing the love. But, but, but the, uh, it, it doesn't, it, it when you have a group of people trying to come up with a consensus choice, that's one thing. In, in at the academy, you can you can have powerful, powerful uh, advocates uh, and and people who hate it, and it'll still get in. Right, but I mean, the in terms and of I think the, the broadcast film critics, which who are voting this weekend, right. of which I'm a member, uh, I believe they will come through for all of these. Movies. Yeah, I mean, we'll we, see we nominations for many of them. You can see where where the field is to a large degree even as you talk about what didn't get into the fold, and there are very few surprises. Though I would be curious to know what you made of, you know, we announced the New York Film Critics Circle Worlds in real, real time. I think probably a lot of people expected a different outcome for Best Supporting Actress with Tiffany Haddish getting something for Girls Trip. Yeah, I that, that was, was a surprise. Nice you know, so there, there are also, some variables It also there. gave you a little bit of diversity. I wondered how much... Um, that was a factor in in choosing her. I, I, I are you are you able to say? Well, I, the what I can say is that the critics groups vote. They, it's it's not a discussion based uh, process necessarily. Although people tend to assume it is, and so what you have to really think about is how are individual people looking at the, these fields and thinking about what they want to single out. Now, this was a commercially successful movie, and she is. This was her year to become a star. She you was incredible her, in it. it she was amazing. It. If you look at her host SNL, she she the, she She's has a kind of energy. She goes. We yes. haven't seen this kind of comedic energy. In a Amy long time. Schumer is the is the equivalent. I yeah, would I say. Mean, some people are saying you know she's the new Eddie Murphy. I mean, I've heard like amazing comparisons in terms of the way that her stand up just kind of is so electrifying. It's it's sort of it's got a charge to it, but it's also kind of you know naughty and stuff. And, and there, there's something about it that's really exciting. So I thought that was a nice revelation. Getting BPM in the best foreign language film. I think there were there were a bunch of other people talking about 
other foreign language films. So seeing that film gain some I was happy to see notable. that, definitely. And I was happy to see Coco uh, get Best Animated Feature. It's been winning everything, too. That's sort so of a given. I think we can kind of assume at it's this point that yeah. nothing is going to be yeah. Coco. Although um, I just saw your name the other night. I thought it was quite strong. There are some interesting animated films. That was last year, I think. No, it qualified this year. Well, qualified this year, at least in, in for um, as far for as the as Oscars yeah. are concerned, Oscars. it was last yeah. year. Yeah, I'm so sure. it, it, the point is, that I think there are some interesting animated films that people look around for them, but Coco's obviously going to be ubiquitous. And so. I finally saw it. We all, my my family and I, went uh, over the holiday weekend, and and it's it's remarkable. It's it's a remarkable piece of work. It's not at all. Uh, 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 they don't slack in any way. They reach for for the story and the depth and the emotion and extraordinary visuals, and they get there. My favorite animated <laughs> movie. Gael was great. Oh in yeah, it, no, he did a good good job on the voice front, and and I would love to hear the movie in Spanish because as somebody who you know speaks the language, I felt like that was the one piece sort of missing. But it but it gets the cultural reference points right, which is something that's really important for a movie like this because it could go wrong in a lot of ways, especially given Disney's history but uh, so that was very satisfying um and then the other thing is get out one best first film i think we can't count out the kind of ongoing enthusiasm for this movie even as the field gets a little bit more crowded with you know, what was the, interesting the was that so it got that award whereas timothy chalamet who, who got that you know emerging talent award uh from the other groups in this case he actually beat out Daniel Day-Lewis and Tom Hanks for Best Actor. He also so that's a significant the, I mean, thing. At the Gotham Awards, he won on Monday. He won Breakthrough Actor, beating out Mary J. That's Blige. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I yeah, mean, that's, yeah. But, yeah, but he's winning a lot, and I think I think I we all you know it's not rocket science to suggest, in fact, that this guy, <laughs> you know, is a major movie star. You know, he's 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 going all the way. Yeah, I mean, and if it doesn't hurt a lot that of he it. is also in Lady Bird, which is doing exactly, well, and he's so different in that movie. So yeah, that's that's an exciting one, and the fact he's so young is it's just it's it's astonishing. Really but you know, these movies get a little bit more, uh, and then, uh, all right, so then you have Paul Thomas Anderson winning uh, original screenplay in Very both cool. groups. Very cool. So, so that is a suggestion that I think could be uh, followed down the line when we get to the Oscars. I'm not, sh I'm sure it will win costume Oh yeah, that's a given. Well, you but know, Mark that, Bridges that knocked given. it out of the park. Yeah. That's a given. But and and I don't know what they're gonna do with the different actors. Um, I mean, Vicky Creeps is an enormous discovery and, yep. and she's great in it. Yep. And but that's a very crowded field. And and I don't I think Leslie Manville has a really good shot at supporting actress. Yeah, everybody loves her. Um, and I think the movie will probably get to picture. But if you were to look at director, you know, I could imagine if we get into the post now, I could imagine Spielberg getting in there ahead of PTA. And the reason for that is that I think Phantom Thread, as well as it did with the critics, is is a critic's picture. It is an art yeah, film. Totally. It is not a mainstream I mean, film. PTA seems like the kind of director, almost like in a Christopher Nolan sense, that you know, he can kind of get close to Oscar glory, but it's, it's, they never totally win over the whole crowd. I mean, no one's never even been nominated, but has come close before. And, you know, PTA has been nominated, but never won. And it seems like it's just like, as much as there is love for him, he, he makes movies that are critics' movies. And that what, what that designation means is, is something very different from Oscar buzz. Sometimes those things line up, but for him, it really does feel like a separate category. 
in a way. So be curious to see how it goes. And once we could talk about it a little bit more in the dam embargo lifts, we can we can dig into that. So let's get into it. Our top 10 lists. I mean, let's be honest here. There's a lot of movies to talk about. And we go to all these film festivals. We see so much stuff. Lists are inherently limited. Uh, obviously, there are things that I like that I put on my list that you wouldn't necessarily put on your list, and that's kind of the great thing about it is that as more of these lists come out, you do get a better sense of just how many different kinds of movies are out there this year that play to different kinds of sensibilities. Do you want to kick us off and tell us what's at the uh, the number 10 slot on yours? All right, so on the site, there's a 12, I did a 12 list. but We'll the, forgive the, it. The 10th. Because I did yeah, 17. Yeah, the 10th, we're going to keep it for, we're, we're both sticking with, you did 17. We're sticking with 10 for the purposes of, of My time. My list gets longer the, every year. It builds up. And I'll, I'll be at 20 in 2020, so. <laughs> well, you were being cute. It was 17 for 2017, exactly. so I get that. So the my 10th movie is The Big Sick, which I saw back in January, and which I appreciate on so many levels it's it's um it's a true story it's an authentic story i recognize that a very large group of people who are very adept at what they do worked together to make it work so judd apatow and michael showalter and emily d gordon and her husband kamal nanjani who is starring in it and therefore plays himself the story of how she got sick while they were uh dating and eventually got married um and the problems they had with each with their family and, and the cultural things they had to deal with. All of this is, is beautifully wrought. And I think it functions as a, as a romance, as well as a comedy, as well as a cultural uh, watershed movie. I just think it's fantastic. And I want to praise it. And I want to praise uh, the cast and Holly Hunter and Ray Romano and Zoe Kazan and all that. Yeah, the movie's pretty good, but I think uh, you could see the differences of our sensibilities right out of the gate with my number 10 slot, which uh, goes to The Death of Louis XIV. Uh, Albert Serra's really <laughs> remarkable, sort of kind of quasi-experimental look at the final days of this French monarch. It's just, you know, it's, it's like sort of a, a companion piece to Marie Antoinette it's a, in the sense that it's about the kind of absurdity of all this wealth kind of caving in on someone when their world collapses. But a Jean-Pierre Léod playing this guy, and I promise you there there is a lot to, if you will open yourself up to this movie, it's a it's a beautiful, it's like a painting come to life. It's, it's seeing Léod, now almost 80 years old, best role since 400 Blows, sort of grappling with his own mortality on screen, slowly dying because all of these medical professionals surrounding him obviously have no idea what they're doing. And there's something really remarkable about just seeing the kind of physical deterioration of this person who's covered in makeup, dressed in all these fancy clothes, and yet nothing can save him. It really, it just, it, it casts such a haunting spell and more people should know about it. So that's my number 10. That's one that I never did see, and I, I remember you uh, raving about it uh, earlier in the year, so I will I will try to catch up with that. My number nine is the Florida Project, which I know you also have on your list, so we can go back and forth on this right now. Um, it's Sean Baker's follow-up to Tangerine. It's in 35. It's along Route 92 in Florida. It is an extraordinary use of 
um, really uh, a kind of cinema verite style with children and a lot of improvisation, but a lot of lightness. So that he's, he's balancing this d sort of dark, stark, brightly colored and sunny world with, um, because they're so poor, with, with this kind of childlike whimsy and the ability to have joy in, in no matter what your surroundings. And, and I want, I'm so happy that the New York Film Critics gave Baker Best Director because this was very difficult to do. And I think he pulled it off and Willem Dafoe helped him to pull it off and Little Brooklyn Prince helped him as well. Uh, and I think that this is a, a major accomplishment I mean, the other thing about about Sean Baker as a filmmaker is that he has a whole body of work. His film Takeout was about a Chinese delivery guy in New York City. He made Prince of Broadway about a guy selling counterfeit purses, and then of course Tangerine. So he's sort of been building to the to the kind of paragon of this approach of using first time actors, an unconventional setting, but then finding a way to make it a crowd pleaser anyway, kind of. Right. willing it into being more accessible than you would expect for this material. So yeah, it's on my list too. I love the crossover element there where it's like I can wig out over this being sort of like the traditions of neorealism kind of coming into some sort of contemporary context, but it's also it's, there are people who don't even think in those terms in, in the slightest sense who can just see it as a really sweet kind of coming-of-age story from a child's point of view, and it, it's got that Disney backdrop, so there is that element of you know, this is a Disney movie that Disney would never make, basically. But my number nine is another uh, kind of naturalistic piece of storytelling that kind of it takes you into another kind of a world that we don't usually see represented in American cinema, and that's Menashe, which premiered uh, back at Sundance and, and I thought was just a really fascinating kind of window into the life of this Hasidic guy, uh, Menashe Lustig, who's playing a variation of himself and uh, trying to deal with the fact that he's a, he's a single guy because his wife passed away and they want to take his child away from him because the community doesn't believe that a single guy can raise a kid. And um, he's really fighting against all the, the rules and traditions. And what's interesting about it is that he doesn't just leave. He's not a defector. He truly ha believes that he belongs there. But at the same time, it feels that he, he needs to take a stand. And, and that narrative I think really comes through and resonates in an emotional way that you wouldn't expect if you didn't know that world but the more I talk to people the more I realize how it universalizes his conundrum and so I just I just think it's a really accomplished piece of what basically what Sean Baker's doing Florida Project in a different kind of setting is opening actually, up actually they're world. very comparable yeah. I think they are very comparable it's because they're, they're documentary like approaches exactly. to a real milieu with real people but fictionalized um and uh, finally, it's about being a parent. It's about divorce. It's about the, the, the horrible strictures. It's way more intensified by his Hasidic um, uh, situation. But, but it's, it's, a, it's still about the same, you know, the yearning for, for some kind of family and, and the, a, a sense in this case, especially, that he's not being supported by his community. It's a very, very good movie. So what's next on your list? I have... they. Uh, first They Killed My Father, uh, Angelina Jolie's movie, shot in Cambodia, in Cambodian, um, very much recreating uh, the 2000 memoir of, co of her co-screenwriter, Luong Ung, who was five when the Khmer Rouge forced her family into, into work camps. So this is a $24 million budget financed by Netflix. No one else would have done it, <laughs> you know. 60-day shoot, two hours, 16 minutes, 
And it is, you know, totally breaking the rules, told from the point of view of a five-year-old girl. And what I love about it is that it's very pure. You know, Slumdog Millionaire cinematographer Anthony Todd Mantle got in there. He's capturing the child's point of view. He's looking at insects. He's, you know, you see the horror around her, but she's still an innocent child. And it's it's a really lovely, um, well-made, moving movie. And I know that people tend to think of Angelina Jolie's movies as being somehow, you know, oh, they're sort of humanitarian exercises or they're granola or they're good for you or something like that. And I, I really would love people to check this out because A, it's not as horrifying as it, as all that, partly because it is from the, it is horrifying, but it's still from the point of view of this kid who survives after all. And then, uh, and, and B, it's, it's actually just great filmmaking. So once again, our, our sensibilities divulge. My, uh, Film in, in, in this slot is the ornithologist, Joao Pedro Rodriguez, the, the Portuguese filmmaker who some people may know from films like To Die Like a Man. It's a, another one of these kind of really out there experimental pieces of, of storytelling about this, this character. Uh, who's a, he's, a, he's an ornithologist. He's a bird watcher. And he goes out into the wilderness and he gets lost and slowly and steadily starts to lose his mind and kind of seeps into this kind of Lynchian nightmare of sorts where he's not sure who he is and really over the process of of kind of wandering through the woods has this kind of identity crisis that seems to have something to do with on some level his sexual identity but also it has a broader kind of abstract quality where he starts to kind of see these these uh, kind of animals talking to him and he has these spiritual encounters that um you can really sort of, as you watch the movie, apply all kinds of different meanings to it. And it's something that I really respond to because I've seen it twice. I've gotten different kinds of readings out of it. Um, and, that, and that's on some of them, my favorite kind of filmmaking is when it is that ambiguous. Of course, it's not for everyone, but I have exposed people who would, you would not expect to be into a movie like this. And, and they, they come out of it talking about it. So I hope more people try, try to open themselves up to something like The Ornithologist. It's really it's a quite, quite a memorable experience. And my next this is one another is one that I haven't seen. Yeah, and my next one is The Florida Project, so we can kind of move along. We've talked about that one. What's, uh, what's next so on your So number list? seven is my big studio entry, which is Dunkirk. Um, I am a huge fan of There's always got to be mean, one, right? <laughs> yeah, no. I have another one. I, I have more than one. At uh, least one. And this, this one is is like, you've got to see it on the big screen. Somebody uh, took a screener home and sort of went, ah, I don't know, what's the big whoop? And I, I kind of went, you got to see it of on course. the big screen. I saw it in IMAX. I saw it with, you know, incredible sound. And it, you're up on the in the airplane in the Spitfire with Tom Hardy, and you're looking down on that extraordinary, vast, expansive beach and that that bay, that water, the, the little boats coming in, the, the big destroyer. You know, it's just... And it's about the 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 intimate experience that these individual soldiers had in their different claustrophobic environments, and and you know hiding uh, in the in the belly of a of a of a ship while while it's being riddled with with machine gun fire. You know all this stuff is going on, and and it's extraordinarily thrilling. And he plays with the time frame in a very innovative and a way that at least the first time I saw it, I didn't 
get it for a while. And then when I got it, I sort of went, whoa, you know, and, and it's just the way he uses sound, the way he uses the music, the way that, and he gives up the idea of having to center on one protagonist or have, I mean, if you want to, you could suggest that, um, this is just as radical as Angelina's movie in the sense that it broke a number of rules and he let the audience follow him. You know, he wasn't trying to please them uh, in a certain kind of way. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I need to, to think more about Dunkirk. I'm certainly impressed with the craftsmanship and I would agree. It almost feels like it was built inside the confines of a giant screen. It's impossible to envision it any other kind of way. Although to me, the most thrilling, like just sort of viscerally thrilling movie-going experience of the year is my number six slot, which is <laughs> the Safdie Brothers' Good Time. Uh, obviously, Robert Pattinson's best role. I really think he, he pulls it off by sort of transforming into this uh, Queen's bank robber who, who just can't get it right, trying to rescue his, uh, his brother from uh, captivity over the course of a, a troubled night. And um, I've obviously been following the Safties and supporting their work for a long time because I really love the way they're sort they're, they're sort of bringing this a form of naturalism, but also sort of a kind of dark comedy style of storytelling that I'm, I'm very responsive to. I think that they, they only become more and more polished storytellers as they move along. And this movie is a paragon of what they've been building to, which is just something that just pulls you in with first-rate suspense. It's it's sort of, it's macabre, it's twisted, but there's also an underlying emotional quality to it. You're, you're drawn into this flawed protagonist's plight. And um, I just I just love the way that it all kind of comes together. So I've just really I enjoyed talking about it. I like Good Times a lot. And, and I, I, I certainly think Pattinson is is turning into, he's always been a good actor, but he, gets, he just gets better uh, and makes really good choices. Um, and uh, I think I think the Safdies and he were, were a, a really great match. Um, my next one is uh, Loveless, which is the Cannes Jury Prize winner um, from Russia. Uh, from Andrei Zvyagintsev, who made Leviathan. Very nice pronunciation. I, I practice <laughs> these things. Uh, and then, and then he, he basically, I mean, this is one of the great filmmakers that we have, I think. I mean, he's just, he's just in control. He, he, he's, he's not like anybody else. You, you've not seen, you know, there's nothing predictable about his movies. He takes you... Uh, in this movie, he, his camera moves around this frozen lake, and why is it doing that? Why is it showing you this tree? You know, and he makes you feel uh, that something mysterious is going on and, and takes you on these different journeys. But ba what it's really about is how selfish and careerist and greedy and neglectful uh, Russian society actually is. And there's some extraordinary... Uh, moments in this movie that are that'll just break your heart. Um, so I hope people will see it. It is the Russian entry, um, in spite of the fact that it's critical of Russian society. It got through anyway, um, and I I hope it does well in the uh, in the Oscar race. So the one that I'm really pulling for that we're not totally sure about, we we kind of addressed it a little bit earlier on the podcast. And I can't go into too much detail about it, but I'm told that I can keep it vague. And I was, I did get official permission to put this on my list before the embargo lifted on Phantom Thread, my number five. Uh, Paul Thomas well, I Anderson, should think they would want it to be on your ten best as list. As it should be. I mean, it, look, if you like Paul Thomas Anderson, if you if you respect him as a filmmaker, and if you are, especially if you are a, one of those super fans, of which there are many, uh, for good reasons, 
you will be very satisfied with this movie, which is, I think, a great consolidation of two different impulses. He, he can do these kind of sweeping riffs on history, like The Master or There Will Be Blood, but then he's also really good at a kind of intimate, somewhat peculiar, you know, romantic drama of sorts, like Punch Drunk Love. To me, Phantom Thread is those two things kind of mashed together into this really fascinating look at an odd couple of sorts with Daniel Day-Lewis in a really interesting kind of muted role as this dressmaker and this wonderful discovery Vicky Creeps as, as his muse. You think he's muted? I think very, actually surprisingly so. We can't go into it too much, but I would say that it's it's not a show. I wouldn't say that. It's not a showy performance. If you go into I would say it, it's, it is a showy performance. Well, I mean, it's really a question of how you define that. Because we know what this guy is capable of. It's not there will be blood. It's no, not like that. No. I, it's, it's let me not, put it to you this way. The reason, chewing. the reason why I say muted is because this but is a character. But he dominates the movie. Uh, well, I, I, I don't know about that. I, I, we can't go into too much detail, but I, but, I, but I think it's people will be surprised to see who's the real star of the show here. Let's put it that way. But it's a but it's a it's a memorable it's a memorable movie. It's a memorable movie that I think fits into the pantheon of PTA films very nicely. It's very satisfying, and there's just a lot to unpack. And he's just I I, I am always impressed by what a tight uh, control he has over the stories he wants to tell. So I'm very happy to have caught this one before uh, uh, doing the list this year. What's next okay. on yours? We'll hold off on, on that until I have permission. Um, the next one for me is Darkest Hour, which I remain, uh, you know, completely in love with. Um, it's It could be just another soft British lob with a lot of talking and a lot of um, white British men, uh, you know, in war rooms. But it's more than that. And it's Gary Oldman as Prime Minister Winston Churchill. It's Kristen Scott Thomas as his wife. It's uh, the, 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 the very few months when everything was going very dark as uh, the Nazis were were defeating France and Belgium and cornering our allied forces in Dunkirk, a familiar uh, bookend. It's another side. It's another coin face of, of this same story, but it's the it's what was going on in England in Parliament and, and a lot of maneuvering. Uh, where these great speeches were written, and Oldman has this amazing makeup. He didn't lose, he didn't gain weight. He put on a, a you know, a, a fat suit, and and some amazing makeup, and and basically um, gives the performance of the year. Now it's the front running perform, but but it's not just. It's not just that it's the the Oscar front runner, which everybody says. Uh, for all we know, it could be Timothy Chalamet who wins at this point. But. Yep. Um, it's also uh, Joe Wright and uh, this and Anthony McCartan. I think there's a great screenplay here. I think that the direction is reasoned and very disciplined, and he's he has a few showy shots, but for the most part, he's telling a story. And uh, I'm I'm a big uh, fan of this one. So uh, my my film the, in the next slot is. What is uh, what is your take on Darkest Hour? Come on. Well, okay. I mean, I, I can get into it if you really want to do this. Because <laughs> to me, this movie is fine. I, my, my sense is that the more that it sat with me, the less I liked it. I was sort of, I was impressed by Gary Oldman. I was impressed by the kind of visual polish of the film and the way in which it took the premise of 
a bunch of white guys yelling in rooms about strategy and made it somewhat cinematic. But I also felt like that's sort of a familiar set of accomplishments and it, it didn't give me anything fresh. I didn't come out of it with any really exciting new insights into Churchill as a character, nor did I feel like it was really doing anything I hadn't seen before. So I guess I, I just, it's okay. But it, but that's that's where we I think probably diverge most dramatically on this kind of a. a, a All right. Of so what's so, your next one? Well, uh, so so my next one is is a very different kind of a movie. It's a, a fantastic woman, Un Mujer Fantastica, from Sebastian Lelio. This this really uh, extraordinary intimate character study about a, a trans woman in Chile played by Daniela Vega, another great discovery this year. Who's, uh, she plays this character whose uh, husband or partner dies early in the film, and she has to kind of put her life back together in spite of the fact that she is ostracized by this man's family and basically everyone else. And it's just such an absorbing look at what somebody like this has to deal with on a regular basis. I mean, I was talking before about how a movie sits with you. This is one that I just kept thinking about. I kept, I mean, every time I saw a still from the movie, I felt like I was brought back into this world in which this person who, you know, has just as much of a right to have, you know, to be who she is as anyone else out there constantly has to fight to make that clear. And the way the movie is sort of assembled around that without just kind of overtly stating it, you know, there's no obnoxious kind of on-the-nose monologue or anything like that. It's just really powerful, and it's, it's just it, one of the more commanding kind of uh, looks in, at a single person's experience that I, that I saw this year. I um, love that movie, and I love Daniela Vega, um, and I, you know, that, that could easily have been on my top 15 and, and uh, probably would be. Um, it's an outtake. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, you'll never know. <laughs> no, but I hope that that I, that's playing very well and um, and is the Chilean entry, and I think it could go all the way to the top 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 five. Um, and my number four is Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Uh, so I do have another big studio movie. This is probably the most, you know, it's 185 million. It puts uh, Dunkirk's 100 million to shame. Um, and it's just stunningly visually, uh, orally, immersively, large format preferred. Um, and uh, again, um, it's really, there's really no point in seeing this movie as a screener. Uh, and, and I just was so compelled and so riveted by this. And I know that it's cerebral and complicated and, uh, a lot of people couldn't figure out what the hell was going on, which is one reason why it didn't do that well at the box office. It's never going to make its money back, but that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. Um, I'm, you know, it means it's not a mainstream movie. And by the way, the first one the, to which this is very faithful wasn't successful at the box office at all. I mean, so you look, could argue that the people who agreed to make this movie were foolish. Yeah, no, that, but I'm glad they concept. made it. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes it's a nice thing when the studio people miscalculate on some things, commercial prospects, because you actually get a good movie. I mean, look, I've already listed a couple of things on my list that I think are cerebral and non-commercial in the most extreme way possible. But I thought Blade Runner 2049 was probably the most satisfying kind of 
blockbuster type of movie that I saw this year, it was it would have been on my list maybe at number eighteen or nineteen or something like that. It's just seen so many good things. But but why? I mean, Roger Deakins knocked it out of the park. Every shot in this movie is like a painting. And Gosling, Dennis Gasner, the production designer too. I mean, yeah, they all work craftsmanship is amazing. Together, I just think it's Gosling stunning. Is great. The craft department. Harrison you know? Ford is doing something actually He's good funny. for. It's been a while since we really got a good Harrison Ford performance. I mean, agreed. So no, he was good in Star Wars. He was fine. Too. I thought he was more like a prop in Star Wars. But this oh, one really mm -hmm. felt like he he was resurrecting this character in a totally new light. So, yeah, people need to keep talking about Blade Runner 2049. And, and I hope that studios think about maybe it wasn't just that they shouldn't have made this movie. Maybe they just didn't get it out there in the right way or something to that effect. I just want to put that out there. They should think about it. Don't, don't write off the possibility of, of, of making these kinds of movies. I mean... I don't know. Villeneuve's going to do a Dune remake now, so we'll see how He's that perfect. goes. He's perfect. He's perfect for that. I can't yeah. wait. So they should get it out in the right way if it turns out as, as well as this one did. So um, the next one on uh, on my list is one that I believe overlaps with yours, and that's Lady Bird. Um, really one of the most... Uh, satisfying coming-of-age movies ever, if you think about it that way. I mean, not since Boyhood have we seen a movie that really does such a great job of getting inside someone's headspace as they go through a transitional moment, and in this case, from a woman's perspective, that is so, uh, you know, underrepresented in American movies, and Greta Gerwig is, has done this astonishing job of getting inside the post-9-11 world of somebody growing up at this particular moment. The Laurie Metcalf and, Sir, and Saoirse Ronan are, have this amazing mother-daughter chemistry that just resonates so in such a real way, and seeing how this movie is performing, I mean, look, I can't directly relate to this movie in the way that I think a lot of women can, but to see that it, it resonates on that level and it works for me because I think that it's just a very honest, involving piece of filmmaking I think speaks to just how well realized it is as a whole. So it's a really, really great yeah. success here. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty high on my list. Um, it's at number two on mine. Um, and I, uh, I'm just proud of her. I think, you know, that all the work she put in on the screenplay over the years, you know, finally paid off. The fact that she made the decision to direct it herself was the right decision, clearly. And, um, and what she does to nail the mother daughter <laughs> relationship is truly remarkable and made me feel like I was not alone. <laughs> I, I actually, I think I heard from your daughter that you had to call her after seeing the movie. So I, apparently it's, I was, it's stimulating I was, I was in tears and she was like, mom, what's wrong? You know? <laughs> yeah. And then when she saw it, she called me and she said, all right, I get it. You, you have know. to imagine that's happening all over the country now, right? Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, it's a universal, apparently, uh, experience. So my next one is Faces Places, Great which movie. I think is also on yours. Um, which is the uh, fantastic documentary we saw in Cannes from 89-year-old honorary Oscar winner Agnes Varda. Uh, she's blind, she's leaning on a cane, but that doesn't mean she doesn't have the ability to just figure out some great, great uh, setups And as she and the artist J.R. travel around the French countryside and post giant photos of the people that they meet. And it's charming and French and whimsical and moving, and but it's also it has that sparkling, witty, 
savvy intelligence that she has and in all those years of making movies are just at her fingertips yeah it's yeah. like effortless for her it's freaking great and it, it consolidates everything the uh, documentary award and i mean it, you know that's that's what she should get as yeah, far as I know. i'm concerned and forget about the honor anything she should just she should win the man she she won our new york film critics one so why not continue on to the oscars i would love to have her after they already acknowledge her for the lifetime thing just to clean it up anyway but the thing is that that movie is so great i would thinking about this earlier her from her very first film she's been interested in working class experiences and kind of peering beyond the most obvious stories that are out there so this really does feel like it's digging into her legacy as a filmmaker but it's also super charming and if you had no idea who Agnes Varda was you'd think that oh, it would was totally work so so it's actually a nice starting point so I hope people are actually discovering her filmography through this movie it's it's not a the gleaners not, yeah you know go all, back all the late to, period you know. stuff is good and, and then you know the Cleo from five to seven all the and Absolutely. So, all, it's all such a satisfying filmography and it's never received the attention it deserves so talk about being overdue in that respect so I've got another foreign film on in my number two slot and that's Foxtrot, which uh, I, Samuel Maoz, it's his second film. He's an Israeli filmmaker, won the Ophir, despite the fact that the uh, Minister of Culture there didn't, they, you know, spoke out against it because it's critical. Luckily, of the this is like Russia, but, the organization that picks, you know, in this case, it's their Academy Awards. The Academy of, of, of Israel is separate from the government, which is as it should be. Back in Brazil, that isn't true. And there are a number of other, um, a, n a number of other, uh, countries where the government uh, has a lot to say, even in Russia, believe it or not, the academy there is now separate from from the government. There's a and faction and thank God, on there it's that's such an in absurd. line with Putin, but they're not the whole group. No, Go ahead. but I mean, Sorry. it's just such an absurd. It, 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 the, the, the Minister of Culture latched out of this movie without seeing it, and it's just so absurd because this is not, it's a political movie by implication, and it, it is certainly not a, a completely positive portrait of the military, but it's it exists so it's far outside of those picture. parameters. I mean, what what it funny. is is like it's this satiric. It's a it's a satire of sorts. It's also very sad and and also very philosophical. And it goes so many places from a father getting uh, news that his, his son was killed to some backstories about the son. And there's a, a kind of amazing animated sequence, and it, it just. The, it's the very unpredictable and, and, and a little, so it's a little bit precious, just a little. Well, just, I, I'm okay with preciousness if it, if it, if it has a purpose creatively. Right. To me, it made sense. Right. It wasn't just like there just to be, you know, quirky or something. I mean, it, it really feels like it, there, this is a no, fully it's ambitious. realized work. It's hugely it's, ambitious. It has stuck with me. I mean, I just, I just love this movie to pieces it's almost beautiful. as much as my number one, but let's get, let's get your next one first. All right. So, well, my next one is my number one because um, my next one is Ladybird. So, we'll so skip over that. Um, Big finale. Should I just go to my number one? Let's yeah. Get it. So, my number one is Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water, um, which is his English language masterwork. Um, it's this beautiful, immersive fantasy world inspired by the 60s melodramas of Douglas Sirk and the horror classic The Creature from the Black Lagoon. And it's a mix, um, very artfully done. And he wrote it and he directed it and 
He, uh, you know, as you know, anyone who follows Guillermo, he's got a notebook and he makes drawings and there's incredible pictures of, of his designs, but he has a whole team that executes. He did incredible design on this merman, this fairy tale romance with the lonely mute laboratory cleaning woman played by Sally Hawkins and her well-muscled captive merman in the laboratory who's being tortured by Michael Shannon. Um, and, and it's just a beautiful love story and a tale of outsiders and about how they can see what's beautiful in each other when everyone else thinks they're, you know, some, there's something horrible about each of them. Um, and it's a, it's just a, for me, you know, just the, the, the shots of, of Eliza floating in her flooded apartment above the movie theater, making love to her Aquaman, you know, it just breaks my heart. I love this movie. It's not my favorite Guillermo del Toro movie, but I have a lot of respect for it and the, and the way that his aesthetic comes through. I think that it's got his two best pieces of direction ever from just pure sequences standpoint, a sex scene and a dance scene, not to spoil anything to people who yes, haven't seen it. Yes, that's right. But those two sequences I think are his best ever, so I have a lot of respect for it. I think there are other things about it that could have been polished a bit more, but I get why this movie worked for you, and I hope it works for more people because it's another example of something that you want to see. You know, it's Fox Searchlight, but you want to see studios getting behind this kind of work and kind of pushing it out there. As 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 I I, I feel a similar way about my number one, which is Get Out, uh, a movie that to me, I mean, it's just it's almost like talking about Get Out and talking about the phenomenon of Get Out are part of the same experience. The way that this movie, you know, kind of came out of nowhere to some degree. Nobody thought that Jordan Peele from a sketch comedy group was going to make such a terrific piece of filmmaking that is to some people a satire and to other people an all too real look at race relations in America from a perspective that you wouldn't expect to be under assault which is a kind of the white liberal side of things and it's got this amazing hybrid of formulas the guess who's coming to dinner element plus like a you know, John Carpenter type of B-movie aesthetic, and, and it, it brings them together in a really terrific, unpredictable way. I've returned to this movie a few times over the course of the year, and, and it just keeps, I keep seeing more details to it, the way that it plants Easter eggs, the way that it, it kind of is, is just very involving in a way that even when you know what's coming, you're still kind of into it. I think that it's going to stand the test of time. It's one of those movies that is just a, a great snapshot of our current moment that will continue to tell people uh, where we are at right now as a society wrestling with race in America. And so, you know, not only is that an important thing to be talking about, but it's also such an entertaining piece of filmmaking and obviously one of the great debuts of the year. So no question, no question. Now he put in his his uh, ten thousand hours uh, with with uh, Key and Peele and and learned a lot. And he applied a lot of what he learned in the writing and the directing of of this of this movie. It's a great movie. I loved it. I, again, it would be it would be on my top fifteen. And um, you know, it's also it's a great movie. Is, is when it when it was made before something happened, but it still feels like it's in sync with the zeitgeist. Like when the white liberal guy is sort of like. I would have voted for Obama for a third time. And you're like, well, I can relate to that. But also, that's such a crass thing to say. What does that even mean? You know, it's like every time I watch it, I start thinking about, you know, how we, I'm questioning biases more than ever before right. after seeing this right. movie. And I think a lot of people are. So it is, it is that kind of valuable thing. It's going um, to be very interesting to see how Get Out uh, continues to, to play out. 
as, exactly. as the different groups uh, are voting and everything. Um, so that's our list. And there's that, that's, one now prominent we left, movie. We left out some, what's, what's this? There's one prominent movie that we left out. One we day. are getting a little bit assailed um, on social media for both of us having left off Call Me By Your Name, which, for, again, is a movie I really, really like. Yeah, I don't, I don't dislike it. It's going to do really well with the awards and everything, and it's doing well at the box office, and I, I admire it. And you know what's interesting about that movie? When I saw it at Sundance, um, where everyone was just raving about it, I had that reaction that you sometimes have, which is like, I like it, and it's really good, and it works, and I see that Timothy Chalamet is a huge star now and Michael Stolbarg is really good and it's well written and it's well directed and everything else but it doesn't break any brand, you know huge new ground it, it it's good and and I appreciate it and there's nothing wrong with it but I I wanted to champion other things I don't know how else to say it that's I mean that's the essence of it it's um it was on variations of my list when I was working through this thing you know it's a real curatorial process almost like it's like organizing a gallery and you're trying to get the paintings in the right place and make sure there's enough space in between them and so forth and that's that was my experience here I just I couldn't find the right slot for it with the movies that I was considering and finding that balance that I really wanted plus like you said the movie's fine it's out there and there's much to appreciate about it it's a little um familiar I suppose not not as much as when I was talking about something like Darkest Hour and I mean it it is it, it it does have a subversive kick to it in terms of the sexuality and so forth, and but but it but it is uh it's just a, a very absorbing, very intimate romance. There's lots to appreciate about it. Um, certainly, I'm I'm thrilled that we're giving through the New York Film Critics Circle Timothy Chalamet Best Actor Award. There's a Star Is Born thing going on there, and I think Army Hammer finally found uh, a, a a perfect role to follow up what we saw from Social Network, which is that he is a, a major. Uh, American actor and Luca Guadagnino is, is one of the greatest filmmakers working today full stop I can't wait to see his Suspiria remake uh, next year which is something I never thought I would say but after Call Me By Your Name especially <laughs> he has one now, I'm a big fan of his work too um, and uh, and I'm, uh, I'm I couldn't be more excited to see what he <laughs> Suspiria absolutely I'm in I'm in and, and the other movie we left off is three billboards uh, outside Ebbing Missouri which again I've seen twice I liked it that much that I wanted to see it a second time, and I am not of the school. There are people who find it too angry, too shrill. Uh, it makes them uncomfortable. I don't know what their problem with it is. I love this movie. I absolutely love it. And at the same time, that as as great as the actors are, as great as the script is, there's no question that it's a, an incredible script. There's something about the way that it calibrates uh, the reality of the story with with the also trying to make the characters likable that I, I had some trouble with. How about you? Um, yeah, I, I think Three Billboards is a movie that I enjoyed quite a bit. Martin McDonough is an incredibly talented playwright and filmmaker. Um, I, I think it's just a, it's it's just not a movie that has stuck with me in quite the same way. I kind of I knew what it was within the first act. And I don't think it ever, from a narrative standpoint, rose above that. It just kind of stays in that world. It's a very satisfying place to be. Frances McDormand delivers, you know. And again, this is a movie that I think is primarily about the performance, the, the story and the, the tone and so forth are 
kind of its, its weakest links to some degree. It creates a world. It has a strong premise. It's compelling. But it's again, it's one of those movies that it's 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 worth recommending to people to check out. But when you're when you're looking at dozens and dozens of highlights from the year, it's, it's, it's anything like this where it's you, you, there's just one or two things that keep you hold you back from being completely enthusiastic about it. It's just not going to make the cut in the same sort of way. I mean, look, it's a competitive year, but people should see that movie. They'll they'll get something out of it. Anyway, I loved it. I enjoyed it. Okay, I agree with you. We should we should wrap up. We should. So next week, I guess we'll have a few new movies coming out. We'll talk about and then uh, look ahead to Star Wars. Maybe that'll screw up all this top ten list making. Anything's possible at this point. But in any case, have a good weekend, Dan. You too, Eric. Bye bye. Bye bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.